Well, welcome to this special edition of Pastor 411. Uh, Pastor Mark with you here again this week, and I got a special guest with us. We have... Hi, I'm Thina. I'm Thina. the children's director here. It is so great to be a part of Pastor 411, because yes. it's not just Pastor 411, nope. it's nope. Pastor 411 Kids Edition. Kids Edition, yes. Yeah. <laughs> We've been looking forward to this day for a couple of weeks now. I think many in the congregation have as well, and we're really excited to have Thena with us. If you've been with us in the sanctuary here, kind of before the COVID situation, you know that one of the favorite parts of our service is the kids moment that Thena does an awesome job of every single week. So this week... As part of Pastor 411, we're, we're, we're kind of doing like, like four or five kids moments in a way to answer some of the questions that the kids have offered to us, some things that are on their minds. And, and we're going to answer them in a way that they can understand them and relate to them. So mom and dad, if the kids aren't with you, consider grabbing them and bringing them by because they're going to know Thena and they love the kids' moments, and we're going to try and answer questions at their level that are probably on their minds. At the same time, uh, we know moms and dads, you love the answers to those sessions as well, but we're also going to add a little bit of uh, additional content, we can call it, for perhaps how mom and dad can apply it to their lives and relate to the principles in their context as well. So glad to have you with us, Thina. Thank you. Why don't we jump right into our first question, and here it is. God made spiders. Why do people squish them? Oh, wow. Thank you so very much. That is an excellent question. Absolutely. I'm excited about this one. Um, you know what? Before we really answer the question, I'd just like to know, Mark, mm -hmm. what do you think about spiders? Spiders. Uh, I don't really like spiders. Oh. Um, they make me a little nervous <laughs> when I see them. Uh, I'm better than I used to be, though, because uh, going back a couple years, I really didn't like spiders. But then, then, then there was this person named Nadine who would make fun of me. She would tease me a little <laughs> bit about it. So I had to get a little bit more comfortable around spiders to deal with that. And now I'm kind of the, the spider guy in the house. I deal with the spiders when they come up. And fortunately, we live in a climate where the spiders aren't too big or too dangerous. Otherwise, I'm not sure how I could deal with those. Uh, there actually was a time when I went down to Haiti for a couple weeks, and boy, they got some big, scary spiders down in Haiti. Oh. I, I didn't deal with those ones, <laughs> but I can deal with the ones here in Edmonton. Oh. So what about you, Thina? Well, you know what? I actually have uh, some experience with spiders as well. So growing up, I lived in the Mojave Desert mm. in Southern California, and we had spiders, and we had ants, and we had all the creepy crawly things. And so I got used to them, mm -hmm. and I actually kind of liked them quite Ooh. a bit. However, I do recall a time, because one of the spiders that we had down there were the black widow right. spiders. And black widow spiders are supposed to be the most venomous spider in North America. Hmm. They are 15 times more venomous than a rattlesnake. And we had rattlesnakes in the desert too, but the black widows were what everybody was scared of. Yep. So I was playing in our garage and I was playing like dress up and my dad had a pair of coveralls hanging in the garage. And so, oh, I'll just throw these on for my dress up play. Mm -hmm. And uh, all of a sudden as I'm putting these on, a black widow spider actually crawled out of the pant leg. <laughs> and <laughs> then I was a little bit scared. Yeah. I kind of freaked out. Yep. I ran inside, told my mom and dad. <laughs> and But generally like here, um, I'm kind of, yeah, that's my domain. If there's a spider in our house, I'm the one who goes, takes the, the little one. cloth, grabs the spider and says, thanks for visiting, and then takes it outside. Yeah. <laughs> You're the one. <laughs> so, so that's how we relate to spiders. Mm -hmm. let's, let's talk about this question of it. So mm -hmm. a lot of people are like us. We, we're not fans of spiders. Right. And so we squish them. Right. But God created them. Yeah. 
So how do, how do we make sense of that? Yeah, yeah. You know what? It's, it's so true. Like, God created all of the animals. God mm-hmm. created us as well. And uh, so, you know what? It, there's a difference. There's a difference between the animals and there's a difference between human beings because people are created in God's image, mm-hmm. right? People are created in God's image. And uh, part of what God's asked us to do is to actually take care of mm-hmm. these animals. Yes. And uh, the kids might be familiar with this uh, particular Bible. This is the New Living Translation. Mm-hmm. And Genesis 1:28, uh, the second half, it says, rain over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And so this is kind of like God's command to us. And he's asking us to kind of master over them. But by mastering over them, it doesn't necessarily mean going around and, you know, harming them and, and hurting them and stomping on them all the time. Right. That being said, reigning them, that kind of means that, yeah, we do have to control them and he gives us permission to do different things like we can eat them, not necessarily that we're eating spiders, but eat animals, uh, we can control them, we can, um, uh, I guess, do what we're supposed to do to just make sure that they're not reigning over us, right. I guess right. you could say. Good way to put it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That's um, it's a challenging question because sometimes we don't think twice about stomping on a spider. Right. But it's important to remember that even though we may not like the appearance of spiders, spiders actually do do some good things. Uh, for one, they eat mosquitoes, mm-hmm. and I know for a fact I like spiders better than mosquitoes. <laughs> <laughs> they uh, look after flies for us, and if you've ever stopped and actually looked at a spider's web, they are amazing. Amazing parts of creation. Yeah. So spiders actually do do some good things. And, and squishing spiders, therefore, may not always be the best option available to us. It's, as Thine has explained to us, it's okay if sometimes someone does. But remember the words that we find in Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 10, where it says, the righteous care for the needs of their animals. And, and animals refer to all of creation here. And so moms and dads, uh, as we're thinking about this, there's maybe a practical lesson in choosing which way we go on different things. For example, we can choose to go the easy way, like stomping a spider in the house, or we can choose to go the hard way, which if we wanted to, we could try to catch the spider and then place it back outside so it can build its amazing webs and it can take care of the mosquitoes for us and, and things like that. Now, as I say that, I'm sure in principle you agree with me, but I'm pretty certain there's still going to be a lot of spiders getting squished. So maybe we can extend it beyond spiders to apply that principle to other things. For example, we all know that there are moments in our lives when we have these choices of I could do the right preferred word or action, but that would be harder so we choose different directions sometimes. Like, for example, a lot of parents are finding out right now that it's easier to drop off little Johnny and Susie at school and that the teacher teach. It's harder for mom and dad to do it themselves at home right now. We also probably know that it's easier to just come home and kick your shoes off and sit back and watch TV. Uh, that's the easy route. The harder route is to talk and build a relationship with people that are in our homes. It's easier to say that we believe in something such as our faith in Jesus Christ. It's harder to invest in that faith in Jesus Christ. It's easy to take a child to Sunday school. It's harder to establish regular devotions and prayer in your own life. And when we run into these moments of choosing the easy versus the hard, remember what we read in the book of Philippians, where where Paul says, we can do all things through him who gives us strength. So, 
Remember these words when you come across your next moment of choice, when you have a choice between taking perhaps the easy route or the more difficult route. And I'm not just talking about squishing spiders or not to squish a spider. I, I mean, maybe that's a reminder for you next time you see a spider to say, what areas of my life could I choose to take maybe a bit of the harder route because it might lead to better outcomes. Mm. So there's a bit of a quick response to uh, what do we do about spiders? <laughs> squish them or care for them? Mm. To squish or not to squish? <laughs> that was essentially the question. That's the question. So, <laughs> there we are. Well, let's go to another question here now. We'll take a sip of our, our juice boxes because mm -hmm. kids don't drink coffee. We drink juice on Kids Edition. Mm -hmm. Is it really finders keepers? Is it really finders Well, that's another great question. And that's actually a question that uh, includes a saying that comes from many, 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 many years ago. Uh, it's actually an idiom that dates back to ancient Rome, this idea of finders, keepers, losers, weepers. It, it finds its origin in like 200 BC. That's 200 years before the birth of Jesus. Uh, and it's part of Roman law that, that basically explained, uh, and this is another phrase that mom and dad may have heard of before, is that possession is nine-tenths of the law. And what that means is that if you find something, uh, it's rightfully yours unless the original owner can be found or comes looking for it and asks for it back. But even then, the Roman law said, if you're holding it and somebody else comes and tries to make a claim for it, they have to prove that it was theirs because you're holding it. And that's what it means that possession is nine-tenths of the law. Yeah, you know what I find really interesting about this idiom, Mark, What's is that? that very often uh, the person who says finders, keepers, losers, weepers yep. is the finder. Probably and every time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, you don't usually hear the loser saying it. No. So, you know, that's just something to keep in mind. That's kind of an interesting thing. Um, you know what? If you find something valuable, you should make an effort to, to find the owner, if mm -hmm. at all yeah. possible. I think probably all of us have stories where we've lost something. Yep. And uh, I can think of one that comes to my mind every time okay. I think of something that I lost. And that was my wedding ring, actually. Wow. It was Halloween, and I was handing out candy. And later in the evening, I realized that I didn't have my wedding ring wow. anymore. And, uh, of course, I was, I was devastated that I had lost this ring. Because, yes, a wedding ring is valuable, mm -hmm. but it also has special meaning, right? So sometimes somebody, you know, you find something and you think, oh, well, it's just this. But you mm -hmm. don't know just how important or how meaningful that item is to somebody right. either, right? Very true. Yeah, so, I mean, we did all sorts of things. We called every child's home that we thought of that came to the door that night. Uh, my husband posted signs all over the neighborhood, and thankfully, there was somebody who, who found my ring and then mm -hmm. who returned it. Mm -hmm. And I just, good. yeah, it was, it was wonderful. It's a wonderful moment when that lost item comes back to you. Yeah. Have you had a lost item, Mark? I have. Ooh. It doesn't end as nicely as yours, though. Uh -oh. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, as, as I think of that saying, finders, keepers, losers, weepers, it reminds me of a time when, uh, when my bike was stolen. I don't mean when I was a kid. Like, as mm -hmm. an adult, I bought this nice bike for myself. It was a form of exercise I was going to be engaging in. Had it for a couple months. Mm -hmm. And then I go outside one day, and it's just gone. Oh. Now, it was a very, you know particular bike and size and color and things like that. And a couple of days after it disappeared, I see a guy riding a bike. I don't want to say my bike, <laughs> but it sure looked like my bike riding it down the sidewalk. And I'm like, hey, that's my bike. But I had no way of proving it. So I thought, well, 
what do I say if I go stop them and ask them or if I call the cops? I have no proof that it's mine. And, and it's this problem of possession is nine-tenths of the law. Mm-hmm. I had no way to prove that was my bike. And I, I'm pretty sure it was. Maybe it wasn't. Oh. <laughs> but, uh, but I know what it's like to, to lose something. And uh, I, I didn't weep on the outside, but... <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of weeping on the inside. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I don't bl- don't blame you at <laughs> yeah. all. Um, you know what? Just talking about all of this, mm-hmm. it reminds me of one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Mm-hmm. It's uh, Luke six thirty one, yep. and it tells us, "Do for others as you would have." done to you, right? right? Yeah. Uh, basically. Um, yeah. And so, I don't know. I, I think that if somebody has lost something that you would really, really want, want it back. And so if you're thinking about that, if you're thinking I'd really want it back, mm-hmm. then I think it would be the appropriate thing to give it back to somebody as well, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. This, uh, this verse in, in Luke here, it's found in some other chapters of the yes. Bible as mm-hmm. well, is sometimes referred to as the golden rule. And, and you may not know this, but there's actually different versions of the golden rule in different parts of culture and religions um, around the world. And I'm going to read a couple of them to you, but, but listen if there's something unique about how other people explain them versus how Jesus explained it. For example, in Hinduism, we find uh, a rule that says, hurt not others in ways that you yourself would find hurtful. Uh, Confucianism says, what I do not wish men to do to me, I also wish not to do to men. And another saying that they have is, do not impose on others what you yourself do not desire. Uh, in the Inca culture, we find the saying, do not to another what you would not yourself experience. And in Judaism, it says, and what you hate, do not do to anyone. Very similar to what Jesus is saying in, in Luke chapter 6, 31. But did you notice something unique about how these other cultures and religions position it? You see, the way that they all do it is they deliver the message in the negative, saying, these are actions we need to avoid. And here's the interesting and the really important part about that, is that you can fulfill what these other cultures and religions are saying by doing nothing. By, by avoiding doing the wrong things, by sitting back and doing nothing, you do no harm and you fulfill what they're trying to convey. But Jesus takes the same principle, this golden rule, and he presents it in the positive state. He says, do to others as you would have them do to you. You see, the way Jesus positions it, it's a call to action. It's a call to do good to people around you. It's a call to make a difference in the world around you. Not just to sit back and avoid bad things, but to go and to seize the opportunities to do good things and and to look for them. Not just to avoid the bad things, but to do the good things and make a difference in the world. I really like that. I I feel like we could put that to practical use. So Mm -hmm. instead of, let's say, you know, you're going through a parking lot and and there's some money there or something that, you know, appears valuable, instead of just walking on by, you could could do something. Mm -hmm. You could take it to the police station. If uh, you find something in the playground, you could go tell your teacher, show it to your teacher or bring it to the principal's office. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's all different sorts of things. A wallet, people's wallets and purses and things go missing all the time. Look inside, see who it belongs to, contact them, go the extra mile, mm-hmm. do something. Do something, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Do the right thing. Do it's the right fantastic. thing. Fantastic. Absolutely. So thanks for that question. That's a, another great question. So let's have, uh, I guess, question number three. Question three. Let's hear what question number three is for us. 
Hi, my name is Preden, and I would like to know how Jesus walked on water. Wow, another excellent question. Thank you so very much for that. And I think the way that I would maybe like to start off, as far as answering it goes, mm -hmm. is by doing a little bit of an experiment. And Mark, if you'd come with me, sure. how about we just kind of go over here. Right. I've got uh, some oranges, I've got some water. Can I hold and those for you? Yes, please, that would be fantastic. Thanks. Very helpful, thank you very much. And if you're okay, maybe I'll have you grab have that, that too. too. Thank you so very much. So I've got a whole bunch of water here and some oranges. And what I'd like to do is an experiment. I'm going to see if an orange that is peeled will do something different than an orange that is not peeled. An okay? orange that is peeled may get eaten, which is different than an orange that's not peeled. Yeah, very true. Like if a tree falls in a forest, I don't know, right? <laughs> okay, so we've got the not peeled and we've got the peeled one. And so one would think maybe if I was to make a hypothesis, I would say, well, probably this one would kind of go a little bit like, like sink faster or something because it's heavier. Well, it's heavier because it has the peel. Right? It's got the peel. So let's see what happens. We'll place those in there. Okay, there they oh. go. Oh, but wait. At first, it kind of seemed like they were both going to go down. But now, if we look at it, the peeled one is it heavier or what? It's, it's down at the bottom. And then the one that's not peeled has floated to the top. Hmm. So we have to stop and we have to think, okay, well, there, there, is it a miracle or is there a reason behind this? Is there a scientific reason behind this? Because we're always, you know, we have these inquiring minds. <laughs> we want to know what's going on. We want to know an answer to why something is the way that it is. Mm -hmm. So here, I think there, there's a couple of reasons. One is that the skin, the peel of an orange, it actually acts like a life jacket for the orange. And uh, another is that there's actually quite a bit of air underneath the peel of an orange. And one way that a person could figure that out, and I'm not you know, telling kids to do this at home, but you could actually take a knife, mm -hmm. and while the orange was under the water, you could kind of dig in and, and see like air bubbles come up and out of it so that you would know that there was a lot of air in there. And so that air kind of just shoots it up and helps it be a little bit more buoyant as opposed to the one that doesn't have the life jacket or doesn't have um, all the air surrounding it. It kind of sinks to the bottom. Okay. Yeah, thank you very well, much. I can take this back. There. Would you like an orange? Maybe after. Okay. <laughs> yep. So you have a peeled one. Sounds good. We'll have that later. <laughs> we were making orange juice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, as I was saying, we you know we have we have these inquisitive minds, and we're always trying to figure things out, and and we want to know how things can be the way that they are. I understand that. And what we talk about when we're talking about Jesus walking on water, we, we, we want to try to make sense of it. Mm -hmm. uh, because I don't know about you, but I, you know, I haven't seen somebody walk on water before. And so then if we think of the orange experiment, we think, well, did he have like some sort of like life jacket on? Was there a bunch of extra air you know, underneath his garment that was mm -hmm. keeping him up? But really, um, I think it's important for us, if, if we can't answer the question, 
how it happened. Maybe we answer the question why it happened. Right. Uh, why did Jesus do a miracle here? Because in fact, in the Bible, we know that Jesus did a whole lot of miracles. And the reason why he does miracles is, one, to show his power, because that is something that we ourselves can't do, but he can, for he's God. Uh, not just showing his power, but showing his love. And also to teach, just like we're kind of teaching some things mm -hmm. here today. So there were reasons, you know, why he did it, but, but how did he do it? Do you, do you have any ideas? Well, yeah, let me add a couple of things that I think are important for us to be mindful of. And, and I like how you phrase that sometimes we can't answer the how. Because, uh, you know, we can't necessarily scientifically explain or explicitly give you an answer as to how Jesus walked on water. But we can look into to why and understand a bit about, how, about who he is. And, and here's the thing we need to understand about miracles in general, whether it's Jesus walking on water or one of the other miracles that he did, uh, is that these are very central. They're very foundational to our Christian faith. And let me explain what that means. You see, miracles are actually one point of serious contention for a lot of people in the world today who are unsure if God exists, if God really exists, if Christianity is true because of the miracles. One of the prevailing world culture uh, worldviews of the day is what's referred to as naturalism. And naturalism is just kind of like our orange situation. It says that everything that is and everything that happens arises from natural properties and natural causes. And as Thena explained, one orange floats, one sinks because there's air pockets in there. And so there's natural processes that take place to help us explain things. And so in light of the consistency of the natural laws of the world in which we live, people who lean towards a naturalism worldview would say that they can make more sense out of those laws than the exceptions to the laws, the, the miracles. And so they lean towards just doubting them altogether. Here's one of the problems with that, is that there are a lot of reports of exceptions to these laws. There are a lot of experiences people have that don't fit the way that we expect and have come to know the world and how it works. And I'm not just talking about religious people. We're talking about, about people who don't believe in God as well, sometimes have experiences that just don't seem right. Now, it is true that the natural laws of our world are constant, but exceptions to those are constantly appearing as well. So what do we do with that? Well, C.S. Lewis defined a miracle as this, as an interference with nature, an interference with these natural laws by a supernatural power. And see, miracles are central to the Christian faith because we worship a living, personal God who is above and beyond creation, but he is also present and personally part of creation and present among us. Therefore, he has given us a natural order. He has given us these consistent natural laws that we can trust and believe in, but he himself is not restricted by them. You see, miracles are not just made up fairy tales to, to pass on moral or spiritual lessons. They are, as Thena explained, kind of God revealing his greatness. They're examples of God breaking through. They're these points of the breaking in of God's kingdom into the world around us. And belief in miracles is inseparable from the Christian faith. 
And part of the reason that we can say that is because Christianity is based upon the greatest miracle, the greatest inbreaking of the kingdom, the greatest uh, appearance and exception in the natural laws of the world, and that being the incarnation. That means the, the birth, the life, the ministry, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ. That is the greatest miracle that has ever happened, and it is the central foundational point of the Christian faith. So we must accept miracles that take place. We must accept that miracles are an interference in these natural laws by supernatural power if we're going to believe in Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis also explained that this way. He said, the Christian story is precisely the story of one grand miracle. It's the Christian assertion being that what is beyond space, this being God, is beyond space and time. What is uncreated, what is eternal, came into nature, came into human nature, descended into his own universe, into his own creation, and rose again, bringing nature up with him. So we can't always explain how miracles happened, but they do happen. They are real. They aren't just made-up fairy tales. They're examples of how God breaks into the world around us and reveals his greatness and his love. And there's an important why behind every miracle that takes place. And Christianity itself is one of these interferences with nature by a supernatural power. Because we believe in a present, powerful God who is not ruled or limited by the laws that we know in the world around us. So, let's maybe have a look at another question. Mm-hmm. Let's see what, uh, what else the kids have for us today. Sure. Mm-hmm. Hi, I'm Alex, and my question is, if I'm supposed to love everyone, why am I supposed to stay away from certain kids? Thanks for that question. That is another wonderful question. Appreciate it. You know what? What I think of when I think of this question is that God he wants us to be loving and he wants us to be kind to everyone. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we're like best friends with everybody, that we have this close friendship, this close connection to everyone. Because some people, they can actually be a bad influence. And uh, maybe that's where your parents are coming from when, when you're wondering why you're supposed to stay away from certain ones, because they might be more of a bad influence. Um, Mark, have you ever had a friend that was maybe a bad influence? Oh, phew. I thought you were going to ask me if I was ever a bad influence. Uh, but uh, yeah, probably yes to both, probably. <laughs> but, uh, but let's talk about my friend who was a bad influence. Yeah, your friend. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hmm. Uh, actually, as you asked me that question, the, the first situation that comes to mind is uh, when I was probably about, probably about 13, I had a friend who, you know, we, we hung out a fair bit, got along pretty well, but uh, I, I didn't know at the time, but he had been going to a particular store and he had been stealing things from that store. And he got pretty good at it. So he came to me one day and he's like, Mark, it is so easy to steal stuff from this store. You should totally come with me and we're going to go. That's how we talked back in the 80s right, and 90s. Yeah. You should totally come with me. <laughs> and, so, and so I was like, okay. And so I went with him and, and sure enough, we look around. There's like no cameras. There's no security anywhere. And so we kind of started stealing some small items. And we get out of the store and we're like, that was so easy. Until somebody tapped me on the shoulder and they had these plain clothes security people who have been watching us for a while. And I had to go through all that and explain that to my parents later that night as to 
how that happened. So, um, so that's one person I can think of who was a bad influence on me. Yeah, yeah, no, it's true. You know, if, if we spend too much time with the wrong kids, then we can find ourselves doing what we shouldn't be doing. And we can find ourselves getting into trouble, just like you kind of got into yep. trouble, Pastor Mark, in that situation, right? Um, you know what? It's, it's good to be a, a good influence to other people. So instead of letting people be a bad influence on you, be a good influence to them. Uh, be friendly, always be friendly. But like I said, not necessarily best friends mm -hmm. with people. Think about where you play with these people. Think about what you do with these people. And, and is that something that, you know, that, that Jesus would, would be welcomed into as well? Is that something that, that he'd like to see you doing? Is that, is that a place where he'd like to see you going? Maybe kind of think about that. You know, when I was a kid, I had in-school friends, and as long as we were in school, they seemed to have their, their behavior tapered. They, they were being good kids. But as soon as we were out of school, they made wrong choices. And so I chose to kind of have these friends when we were at school and in school, but on the weekends or after school, I didn't hang out with them because they just weren't making smart choices. They weren't doing the right things that I kind of wanted to be doing with my life. So your closest friends, what you want those people to be is you want people who are just, you know, wanting to help you become a better person, that they would be people who have the same attitude as you do towards serving God. And these are important people to surround yourself with. Try to be close to those kind of kids, to kids who love God, to kids who serve God. And talk to your parents about it and, and ask them, you know, if they're saying stay away, then, you know, maybe be aware of that because this is something, kids, that, that parents just actually have a lot of insight on. They really have a good understanding of, of who might be uh, the smarter children to spend more time with and the children to kind of stay away from. And you know what, parents, I do want to talk to you about this one too. Because friends, they have a very powerful influence on your children. They really do. And it's important for you to monitor your child's friendships. And it's also important for you to affirm the positive relationships that they have. Say, hey, good choice. I see you were hanging out with so-and-so that's such a great kid and and talk about things that way and also it's it's very important for you to um, not necessarily choose your children's friends for them let them be involved in in choosing but be the one who gives them guidance as they are making those decisions. And parents, I also, I want to encourage you not to be super judgy about uh, the outward appearance, what the child maybe looks like on the outside. Like, I think one of the children was telling me one time, oh, my friend has green hair and that makes my mom really upset. Well, you know what, what is it about the green hair? Maybe that child's, you know, likes likes to be unique. That child's trying to express themselves in, in some sort of fun way and or maybe they just like to get attention so parents you need to maybe kind of find out what drives them for uh, being the way that they are or their outward appearance and so they're not necessarily trying to rebel so one way that you can figure that out is by actually inviting sure. that child into your home and finding out okay like is this child using bad language and kind of doing some some questionable things here in my own home and then you could kind of realize that maybe there's a, a bad attitude there or there's some negative tendencies and would be a bad influence. Um, if that's the case, then what you need to do is you need to point that out to your child and to be able to begin a discussion with your child. Because um, 
it's not, you know, the color of their hair. It's not how many rips that they have in their jeans. Um, if, if what they're looking like on the outside is an indication of uh, something that bad, maybe, that's going on inside, then you will know that just by actually getting to know the child. So give the child a chance. Mm -hmm. Sure. A lot of wisdom in what you're, what you're sharing with the scene. I think there's some good... Um, some good points for us to be mindful of there. It actually reminds me of a saying that from the moment I first heard it, I've always loved it. And, and this is it. We are the average of the five people we spend the most time with. That's true. It's true of, of our children and it's true of us, mom and dad, that we are the average of the five people we spend the most time with. Because like it or not, we are greatly influenced by the people that we're closest to. They are going to have a formative influence upon the way that we think, our self-esteem, the decisions we make, the beliefs that we hold, the mannerisms and the sayings that we, that we share with the world, our likes and our dislikes. So we need to be mindful of who are these five people that our kids and us spend the most time with. Proverbs 13.20 kind of echoes this idea a little bit and says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So parents, especially parents of, of teens and young adults, I just want to encourage you because you're entering into that time where your relationship with your kids are changing a little bit and, and you might feel them pulling away a little bit, pushing away a little bit. I want to encourage you to make sure that you are still one of the people of five, one of those five that's in their group. Now, you have the right to question some of the people they spend their time with, not, not to control it, not to choose it for them, but if you're part of that kind of inner five, you have an opportunity to be an influencer, to still influence what's happening there. Now, if you try to be the only influence, you're going to lose that one, okay? So you can't be the only influence, but try to make sure you're one of those five people who is influencing. Be in the mix, because they're watching and they're listening to you more than you may think they are. And kids... Be careful who you choose. Be careful of who you choose to be your group of five, whatever number that may be. But the five you're closest to have the biggest influence upon you. There's another saying that says, show me your friends and I will show you your future. Are you choosing friends that are challenging you, that are inspiring you towards good things, to, to achieve greater things, to a, to a positive, productive, appropriate future? Or have you surround yourself with people that tend to hold you back? They're kind of like an anchor. They don't move you forward. They hold you back. They are limiting to you. Are you surrounded by people who are a positive influence or a negative influence? Answering some of these questions helps us understand who we should and shouldn't include in our group of five. Because the average of those five people will choose a big aspect to where your future looks like. So... Thanks for that wisdom, Thena, for sharing that. And I think, if my math is correct, we have one question left. One. Mm -hmm. So let's go to that one now. Mm -hmm. Hi, my name's Sam. And why do I have nightmares when they go bad, even though I quit? Okay, thank you so very much for that question. I will try my best to answer that for you. Um, let me start off by just telling you about when I was a child, I had this bedtime prayer routine and 
every single night when I went to bed, I would say, dear Jesus, please help me to not have any bad dreams or nightmares as I was like petrified of having a bad dream or nightmare. I really was. And so I would bring that to God every night and just ask him to kind of protect me in my sleep so that I wouldn't have to have that. I wanted good dreams and nothing but. So, uh, you know, nighttime is a very great time to pray. That was kind of when I would just come to God. And at your nighttime prayers, you can pray about all sorts of things. You can pray about everything that happened that day. You can thank God for things. You can tell him about any problems or or things that are going on in your life that you just want to share with him. You can ask for a good night's sleep. And I think it's a very great habit to just kind of make it a plan to pray before you go to bed. And you know what, Christians... They're not promised that they will have uh, freedom from all problems, that they will never have a difficulty, that they will never have a bad dream. But you know what? During our problems, during our difficulties, during our bad dreams or our nightmares, God is there and he's looking after us and he's helping us and he's just there to care for us in the night when we're asleep and during the day when we are awake as well. And you know what's interesting about dreams is the reason why we have them. Uh, Some people aren't exactly sure, but sometimes it's because we have something on our mind. Sometimes it can be something that we ate even just before bed or or during supper time. Sometimes even your body kind of gets startled. It hears a, a noise while you're asleep and a dream will come about that. It's kind of interesting, but please do remember to ask God to help you at, uh, during your sleep that, that no matter what happens, that he would be there for you because he always is. He always is. And it kind of makes me think about King David in the Bible. There was a time when King David could have been very restless, when he could have been experiencing all sorts of bad dreams and nightmares because there were mean men who were really after him and they they wanted to hurt him. And so King David, he was going to go to sleep and he prayed, just like I said, he prayed to God and he just asked God to, to care for him and that he knew that he could be comforted. He knew that he didn't have to worry. He knew that God would look after him even as he slept. And that is just so beautiful. Psalm 4 verse 8, it says, I will lie down in peace and sleep for you alone, O Lord, will keep me safe. So you don't have to wait until bedtime to pray either, right? You can pray all through the day. There's no set time that you have to pray, but it's great to have a habit of praying without ceasing. And certainly I always pray before bed. And Pastor Mark, I thank you so much once again for inviting me to be a part of our kids edition, Pastor 411. And uh, as we're talking about prayer, would you maybe be able to close in prayer for us? Absolutely. Thank you. Why don't we do that? Let's just pray together right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are with us in the midst of our questions. You're with us in the midst of the challenges of our lives. You are present with us right now, whatever room we may be sitting in, wherever we are watching and listening to this uh, this podcast or to this West Meadows at Home edition. We thank you for that. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your good provision, how you're caring for us and looking after for us. God, for those who do perhaps have, have fears, have anxieties, have concerns, burns upon them right now, God, we pray for your peace. We pray that as David prayed, 
that we can lie down in peace and that we can sleep, that, that perhaps even this moment now we can rest. For we know that we are not alone. For you, O oh Lord, are with us and you will keep us safe. May our confidence and our trust be in you, not our circumstances. May our hope be in you and not the, the things that we hope for in this world. That we would be wonderful witnesses of your grace, truth, and love to those that you bring into our paths this day. And then finally, Lord, we pray for our fathers. As this is Father's Day, we pray that this will be a, a very blessed afternoon for them all. A time of resting, a time of celebrating. Uh, we thank you for the dads in our lives. For those, Lord, who have perhaps lost a father recently or during this past year, we also pray for them. That you as their heavenly father would just be present in their lives, their hearts, and their minds right now. To comfort them and to reassure them. We love you, Lord, and we know you love us. Amen. Well, thank you for being with us today on the Kids Edition of Pastor 411. We are looking forward to seeing you again next week for week four, and that's our final week. That's actually the, also the last Sunday of June, mm. and then it's in the summer after that. So thanks for being with us. We look forward to seeing you next week. West Meadows at home every Sunday, 10 a.m. Bye-bye. <laughs>